Get ready. You're tuned in to Tea Time Unfiltered with your girl, Lovely Tea, bringing you the hottest trending topics on social media. Stay connected. Instagram.com slash Lovely Tea 2002. Hey, you guys. Welcome to another episode of Tea Time Unfiltered with your girl, Lovely Tea. Hey, you guys. Happy Monday and welcome to another episode of Tea Time Unfiltered. So I hope you guys are doing good. So I wanted to come on here and just talk about um, some things that's been on my mind. And I want to talk about this story that I covered about two, three years ago. And what kind of made me think about this story again was because yesterday during my live stream, I was talking about the whole Madonna situation. How I said, you know, sometimes I, you know, walk over to her Instagram page just to check on her black children, just to make sure that they're okay. And, you know, they're being fed and loved and everything else. So, um... Afterwards, I got to thinking about this young black boy that I did a story on. And this month, the month of March, is going to be the three-year anniversary of his death. And for y'all who don't know who I'm talking about, I'm talking about the little young boy. His name was Devontae Hart. He was the one who was dressed like a child from like the 60s or 70s. And he goes up and he hugs a police officer and the and the picture goes viral. And I remember even way back then in 2014, it was during the whole Ferguson uprising. It was when Michael Brown was killed and Darren Wilson got off and folks were going crazy all over the nation. And he went to a rally in Portland, Oregon. And so you see the video of this young black boy who's dressed like he's from the 70s and he's crying. And he's hugging the police officer. And I remember when I first saw the picture, it just did not sit well with my spirit. I'm like, something's not right there. And this was before the whole Get Out movie. But once the movie Get Out came out, it it made me think of this young boy. Because the outfit, the hat, that's not how a 12-year-old dresses in 2014. So it was something about that that didn't sit well. Just the way he was dressed, the way he was crying. It seemed way more emotional for him than it should have been. Then we find out that he has two mothers. They're white lesbian women, and these were his mothers. So to me, I kind of felt like there was some propaganda behind all of this, but nobody could foresee the tragedy that was going to befall this family. So I want to go ahead and play you guys a quick flashback of when Devontae's picture went viral all over the nation. So y'all go ahead and check this out. Finally tonight, it's been six days since the grand jury declined to indict Darren Wilson for the shooting death of Michael Brown. Many of the images that followed have been ugly. This one is not. Here's Carter Evans. As Ferguson erupted into violence this week, the bitterness flowed nationwide in clash after clash between protesters and police. And then during a rally in downtown Portland, there was this encounter. 12-year-old Devontae Hart and Portland Police Sergeant Brett Barnum on patrol with his partner. I looked over and I said, is that kid crying? And he said, yeah, he is. Devontae, he says, had come with a sign saying, free hugs. Soon after came this indelible image, captured by freelance photographer Johnny Nguyen. As a photographer, you look at that scene, it's powerful, especially with what's going on now. A white American cop speaking to a young black American boy. And then when the tears started going away and they started drying up, I realized we had made a connection. They aren't the only ones who felt the connection. Since the photo first appeared Friday in the Oregonian newspaper, it's now been shared more than 150,000 times on Facebook. I didn't realize it was going to have this kind of an impact, um, but, it, but it's a pretty special thing. A moment 
between a 21-year police veteran and a 12-year-old kid. Devante's mother wrote on her Facebook page that he struggles with living fearlessly when it comes to the police and people that don't understand the complexity of racism that is prevalent in our society. We're humans, and that's exactly what this was that on that day, was I'm human, and I want to reach out to a child and just say, hey, are you okay? The other aftermath of Ferguson. All right, so you guys just saw that picture. And so, you know, a lot of things ended up coming out about Jennifer and Sarah Hart. You know, a lot of things ended up coming out about them. They had adopted six minority children. And I remember even watching old YouTube videos of Devante and his siblings. It was just weird. Like, these kids were just not raised like normal kids. They seemed, you know, somewhat happy, but everything seemed very, very forced. You know, he'd be up dancing in his underwear, you know, dancing with a guitar. Like, the whole life just seemed like a real big facade. And so then it came out that neighbors had been calling the police and calling Child Protective Services on these two women. So I'm going to go ahead and just kind of do a breakdown and give you guys a backstory of everything that went down. So Jennifer Jean Hart and Sarah Margaret Grano, they grew up about 150 miles apart in South Dakota, and they met at Northern State University. By 2005, they were living together in Alexandria, Minnesota. Investigative documents say that they had provided foster care for a 16-year-old girl who had to be removed from their home in February of 2006 because of her suicidal idolizations and threats. The couple were planning to adopt, but they said that they didn't want that negative energy to impact their children. So they ended up giving her back to the state. Now, the first three set of children that they had was Marcus, Hannah, and Abigail. They were placed with the hearts on March 4th 2006. So a month after the 16-year-old was removed from the home, they allowed these two women to adopt three more children. So the adoption was completed six months later, and within the year, the women had spent at least 15 hours training on topics like racial diversity excitement, helping abused kids heal, and things like that. And because of them being willing to learn more about, you know, black culture and minority culture and things like that, the caseworker, the caseworker in Ferguson Falls, Minnesota, they basically deemed them, you know, worthy of adopting a second group of sibling children. So the first group, they were siblings. Then the next group that they end up adopting, they're also siblings. So Jeremiah, Devante, and Sierra, they were adopted in June of 2008. The documents showed that Jennifer and Sarah married in Connecticut the following year. In March 2009, in an email, Jennifer shared plans for the family's next steps. Sarah's trying to get pregnant, she wrote. After 10 years of talking about this, we've decided on a donor, Jennifer wrote. This month will be the first time she will have done the actual procedure. It's very nerve-wracking. But by July, she wrote to someone else, stating that the doctor couldn't find the baby's heartbeat. And she updated the person six days later that the baby didn't make it. So the loss of that child, or their so-called biological child, um, they're thinking that that's what might have put a strain on their relationship and even made one of the women super emotional and upset. So that's when we start seeing, you know, signs of trouble in their relationship. So on August of 2010, um, in an email to another woman, Jennifer complained that Sarah had said some hurtful things to her. For quite some time, I felt very underappreciated, taken for granted in our relationship, and at times unloved, she wrote. 
While I know deep in my heart how much she loves me, she is horrible at showing it. I have felt that I have been raising all of these kids on my own and I need a break. A few months later, the Minnesota Child Welfare received a report of negligence and abuse by the hearts, two of which were deemed credible. In one episode, Sarah admitted to physically harming Abigail. Records show that Sarah was convicted of a misdemeanor domestic assault. The family then made their first major move to Lynn, Oregon, where an anonymous person told officials that the Hart children appeared malnourished, and investigators in Oregon began an inquiry and interviewed the women who knew the family and described them as militant parents who imposed harsh disciplinary measures on their children. But any private turmoil was glossed over by their public videos and posts on social media, which portrayed a happy, eccentric, fun-loving family. Jennifer was prone to constantly show videos of Devante dancing and the other children singing, basically to show, you know, their community that they were being provided for. But if you really watch these videos, Devante does look malnourished. He looks a lot smaller than he should. You know, at the age of, you know, 9, 10, 11, he should be a little bit bigger than what he is, but he's very, very frail when you see him. He's literally in his underwear, which is disturbing enough, but the size of him, his legs and his arms, he just looks very, very thin. So then we fast forward to 2014, and in 2014, at a demonstration in Portland, Oregon, to protest police violence, Devante was photographed with a pained expression hugging a white police sergeant. The image went viral, and then it was time for them to move again. So by now, they're trying to be low-key. They got a lot of, you know, fame from this. I remember seeing them all over the news and on television and doing interviews and things like that. But they kind of wanted their peace again. They wanted to just kind of remain, you know, just, just go back to how they were living prior. So then by May of 2017, the Hearts were living on more than two acres of land in Woodland, Washington. The only other two homes nearby were shrouded by trees and fences. Bruce and Dana DeCab lived in one of them. They told investigators that they had been excited to have new neighbors, but they rarely saw anyone from the property and they initially wondered if the family had in fact moved in. They had. Then one night, around 1.30 in the morning, on August 2017, Hannah rang the doorbell at the DeCab's house and ran inside their home. The DeCab said in the interview she was missing two teeth and was so thin that they thought she was six or seven years old. But in actuality, she was a teenager. So today's sponsor is HelloFresh. Did you know that four out of five HelloFresh customers say that HelloFresh leads them to a healthier lifestyle with their wide range of food choices. HelloFresh is not only 28% cheaper than shopping at your local grocery store, it's also 72% cheaper than eating at your local restaurant without having to sacrifice the quality. One of my favorite things about HelloFresh is how quick and easy it is to prepare their meals. Not only that, they also come with these really simple, easy to follow step-by-step recipe guides. And the best part is that the food tastes good, honey. So if you want to go ahead and check out HelloFresh and what they have to offer, make sure you guys go on to HelloFresh.com slash SipSlow12. Once again, make sure you use code SipSlow12 to get 12 free meals, including free shipping. So make sure to check out HelloFresh because they are America's number one meal kit. Mr. DeCab, who is 63 years old, recalls Hannah asking him, can you please take me to Seattle? Hannah says she jumped out of a second story window to escape. 
She explained that she had been whipped and that her mothers were racist. Minutes later, Hannah's parents showed up at the DeKalb home and Hannah hid in the bedroom. Eventually, Miss DeKalb gave Jennifer time to speak with her daughter alone. After that, they came downstairs. Hannah apologized and they went home. Hannah and her family returned the next morning with a written apology. Jennifer explained that Hannah was bipolar and struggling with the death of their cat. Other than that, Jennifer insisted that the children love their new home just as they love spontaneous adventures and the children all nodded. She was so convincing, said Mr. Cab, 57 at the time. Still, she was very, very worried. In the months that followed, none of the Hart children would speak with her when she tried to talk to them. Then in March 2018, Devante began going to the DeKalb residence requesting food. So now this is a whole year later. This is just really, really just disturbing. Devante told DeKalb that his parents were withholding food as punishment, but asked them not to tell his mom that he was visiting. So when she asked which mother was responsible for the abuse, Devante said mom and Sarah, meaning mom was responsible for the abuse. Jennifer was who they called mom and they called the other mom, Sarah, right? And so they're saying that basically initially Jennifer was the main abuser and then Sarah began tolerating it. So Jennifer was the one basically putting the whole family through a lot of abuse and Sarah was doing nothing to stop it. So then Mr. Cab goes on to say, I absolutely from the bottom of my heart trusted what he said. Devante also asked that the DeCabs not call the police because he feared that the family would get split up. But later in March, Mr. Cab told him that she was going to. The next night when Devante visited, he asked her, have you called yet? Mr. Cab contacted the state's welfare agency the very next morning, Friday, March 23rd, 2018. I'm going to go ahead and play you guys the audio of her calling the welfare agency. You guys go ahead and check this out. Yeah, there's some kids that I feel is being highly abused, and I hey, can't wait until Monday in uh, Woodland, Washington. What's the address? Okay, I'm going to give you the address of my daughter's house because it's right next door. Okay, and what's going on there? Well, they have four black children, which that part doesn't matter, and they're, they're new here in Texas, but the other night... A little girl jumped out of the second story window on the roof and then down onto the ground and ran to my daughter and this is like two in the morning begging them to help her to help her when did that happen uh, about three four nights ago okay and my son-in-law doesn't want to get involved but the more I sit on it I, I just can't live with it somebody's got to okay. go there and check and on these so kids. how old was the little kid that did that that ran to your daughter's house about 12 years old, 13. And when they came looking for her, she was begging my daughter not to let them know she was there. And then eventually my son-in-law let them know. And then she had all four of the kids come back later and to say everything was okay. And they were all standing at attention like they were just scared to death. And I think there's something very serious going on there. And they're here from Texas. The kids might even be kidnapped. Okay. And um, so did the girl ever say why she was scared? No. She uh, she was crying, and, and, and it was 2 in the morning, and my daughter said the biggest problem was she's half awake. She couldn't believe what was going on. And, okay. And... 
And basically, my son-in-law is like most people. They don't want to get involved. And so he's keeping my daughter out of it. But since she's told me about it, I just can't live with it. I'm very concerned for these kids. I just can't let this go any longer. Those kids, I think, is in very serious danger. About a week ago or so, um, one of the children came over and started uh, asking for food. And it went on for a period of time until we kind of determined that he was probably reaching out. And we determined to, that we should call the Child Protective Services, and that's what we did on Friday. And you said you think it was Devante who was coming to ask for food. Oh, you know it was, it was, it was Devante. Definitely. You guys have shown us pictures, and we've talked about that one, that it was Devante for sure. Well, they obviously had yeah. a, a separate lives. Their public life was presented, and, and they did it to us. They, they portray this happy little family and yet you know the night before their daughter's telling us please 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 begging us not to make her go back and that they were abusing her it's unbelievable i mean what you're showing me that they were part of that and the pictures it was not the family we saw next door yeah i feel like there was nobody uh in their court i feel that if if there was people that knew these people how could you miss that because I gleaned that quickly with hardly any interface. It's not how I thought it was going to end. I thought it was going to end in a beautiful life for them. It breaks my heart. Yeah, she's been crying all morning about it because it's, uh, you know, we kind of started some of this with the whole, um, you know. I was trying to help them and protect them. And this is the result. <laughs> So once Mr. Cab ended up calling um, the welfare services, the police, and told them what was going on, that was when these two women, Jennifer and Sarah, basically packed up all these kids and they bounced, only to find out that they had killed themselves and their kids a week later. So now on top of everything that the neighbor was saying, the co-workers were also very, very concerned. So there was nothing necessarily unusual about Sarah's behavior that Friday, one of her co-workers at Coles told, told investigators. But several colleagues will later recall that she had previously made odd complaints about her children and became visibly distraught when taking calls from her wife. Sarah told them that her children could not function on their own and had food issues and were not allowed in the kitchen. An assistant manager also said Sarah would be very concerned if Jennifer texted her or called her at work, sometimes exiting the room in a panic and tearing up during heated phone calls. Sarah told the manager that Jennifer was struggling with depression and mentioned to other co-workers that Jennifer would stay in bed and cry all the time. A close relative of Jennifer's was said to have concerns about Jennifer's state of mind. The assistant manager told authorities about the conversation with Sarah that stood out. Sarah once said that she wished someone else had told her it was okay not to have a big family. Then Sarah told her boss that she and Jennifer would not have adopted all these children had somebody told her that. Even even with so much going on at home, the manager told investigators Sarah never failed to show up for work. Video reviewed by the investigators showed Sarah Hart leaving Coles around 5.26 p.m. on March 23rd in a white Pontiac. A child welfare officer was responding to Mr. Cab's call that morning, arrived at the Hart home 10 minutes before that they saw a gold SUV come up the driveway 
and then pull up to the Hart home, according to the report. So the caseworker knocked on the front door. No one answered, so she left her business card. Just before 3 a.m. the next day, records show Sarah Hart texts at least three co-workers and said, I thought I would be able to go to work, but I'm too sick to come in. The authorities later reviewed the videotape, which happened to be Jennifer at a Safeway in the morning of Mar- on the morning of March 25th, on the morning of Sunday, March 25th, the supermarket was about 25 miles from Wands Creek Crossing on Highway 1. Investigators returned to the Hart home in Washington State the next day. The gold SUV was gone. A German tourist would later spot it a few hours later, upside down on a rocky shoreline, more than 500 miles down the Pacific coast. So this story is very, very heartbreaking. And what's even more heartbreaking about this is that these kids were from Texas. These were not kids from Minnesota. They were not, you know, children from Oregon. But a lot of people do not know what happened to the biological mothers. And both biological mothers of these groups of siblings are still alive. Um, Devante's mother was interviewed back in 2018, and she still lives in Houston. So Devante's mother's name is Sherry Davis, and she stated that she was devastated. So what basically happened is that the news organization down there in Texas interviewed not only Devante's biological mother, but also his biological father. So what happened is that his mother had a really bad um, coke habit, and so she had an older set of kids. She had three older sets of kids, and so she had lost those kids to the foster care system. And she was working on cleaning herself up and trying to get, you know, her life back on track. And what ended up happening is that she had relapsed. But she said even though she had relapsed, she was still taking care of the younger kids, feeding them, clothing them. And she was still able to maintain a job. But because she relapsed and she had a dirty UA, they had made her go to court-appointed rehab. And so during that time, the kids, the younger ones, they went to go stay with her baby's father's sister, so the kids' aunt. So that's where Devante and his two siblings were staying. Then what ended up happening is that the aunt had to go to work or she had to go somewhere. So the biological mother was at the house with the kids. They came to do a welfare check and they found the biological mother there with the children, which she shouldn't have been. And she was the only person there. So that was against the court order. So at that point, because she had already lost her older children and now she's here around these younger kids that she shouldn't be around, the court decided to take the kids out of the home. And so the aunt who was keeping the kids was very upset, like, okay, you know, we made a mistake. She won't come over here. Just let me keep the kids. They told her no. And they felt like the kids would be better off with a random white couple from Minnesota. And it didn't make any sense because here they are with their biological aunt. You guys take them out of that household and send them up to Minnesota because these two moms decide to take some diversity training classes because that's the only thing that would even make any type of relative sense as to why these kids were plucked out of Texas and allowed to go all the way to Minnesota with two white strangers that they didn't know. Now, as far as the father... Um, you know, cause I was showing up wondering where was he at when the mother was on drugs relapsing and the auntie was taking care of his children. Well, he said he was in prison at the time. 
So he had to go do a bid. Um, he does work now, but he was in prison during that time, so he was not available as well to take custody of his children. Another thing, the father had no idea that Devante had went viral. They did not see that picture until they found out through the court system that their children had died. Then they found out about Devante's viral picture. They had no idea about the situation. So it's really heartbreaking what happened to these kids, and it could have been prevented. I mean... Drugs aside, the father being in prison aside, there was a biological family member up until the you know part that she got caught with the mother at her house was taking good care of these children and they were safe there. And then once these kids went to go live with this other couple, they became malnourished, they were abused. So this whole situation is just really, really heartbreaking. But a lot of people forget that these so-called adopted children, they still had their biological parents alive and kicking and family members who were willing to take them, but they weren't given that opportunity. So this whole situation is just really, really, just really disturbing. And, you know, for those of you guys who don't know, um, initially folks were trying to say that it was an accident. She couldn't have done this. But once they finally really thoroughly investigated everything, they found out that Jennifer Hart not only did this, but she did it on purpose. She had 0.102% alcohol in her system. And two of the children also had like a Benadryl, like something to make them really sleepy in their system as well. And they had like a really high level of it. So she might have been drugging them without them necessarily knowing it. So I'm going to go ahead and play you guys this news clip that came out once they finally got the final investigation, proving that Jennifer Hart did this on purpose. Check this out. Breaking news. Verdicts have been reached in the coroner's inquest and the Hart family deaths. This is Coin 6 News at 5 o'clock. I'm Dan Tilkin in for Jeff tonight. And I'm Jennifer Hoff. The jurors decided that both the parents, Sarah and Jennifer Hart, died as the result of suicides. As for their six children, those jurors ruled that they died at the hands of another and that their deaths were not an accident. And before the ruling today, we got the clearest picture yet of what happened during the crash that killed all eight members of that family from Woodland. During today's hearing, multiple California investigators all concluded Jennifer Hart intended killed her family by driving off the cliff. On here, zero seconds, I'm, I'm gonna round these numbers, one mile per hour, two seconds at 17 miles per hour, and then three seconds was, as the vehicle is coming off this berm at 20 miles per hour, and then you have four, four and a half, and five seconds as the vehicle is is falling from the cliff edge. Timothy Roloff and the California Highway Patrol determined the Hart SUV went from standing still to gas pedal floored as Jennifer Hart sat behind the wheel, legally drunk. We have uh, the, the vehicle going from 34% throttle to 100% throttle, and there's no subsequent application of the brake. And during that time, you're going from idling, with what the, 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 the brake has been on, and now you're on the throttle, and the throttle is going to 100%. You're accelerating to, to 20 miles per hour um, as you head towards that cliff face. Uh, our analysis of, the, of, of that data was that this was consistent with this being an intentional act. At first, investigators thought it was an accident until they got the data from the SUV's black box. But even before then, investigators realized this wouldn't be a typical investigation when one of them did an internet search on the Hart family. At that time, he showed me an article that was published by the Oregonian uh, depicting this picture behind me, depicting uh, Devante Hart uh, hugging a Portland police sergeant. 
Investigators soon realized the hearts had been in trouble or scrutinized by Child Protective Services in Minnesota, Oregon, and Washington. But separating the family's true nature from the public perception of a loving home was difficult. Due to this, the famous photo that went viral um, out of the Oregonian, um, there was a, they were well known. So we had to do a lot of research and a lot of effort into what we call in the practice vetting our witnesses to make sure that they truly knew the hearts, uh, both the good and the bad. Um, there were a lot of people that stated that they were friends of the heart, but in questioning um, those witnesses, it was very apparent that they didn't know the hearts on a personal level. So the motive is still a mystery, but while the women were driving, Sarah Hart was Googling methods to commit suicide. Again, as we just told you, the jurors decided within the last 30 minutes that Sarah and Jennifer Hart died as a result of suicide, and jurors ruled the children died at the hands of another, and their deaths were not an accident. All right, so you guys just heard that news clip. And I think the saddest part of all of this, when I think back to that story, that viral picture and everything concerning Devontae, I think the saddest part was the fact that it's been close to three years now. His body was never found. The same kid that went viral for hugging a police officer who died in that horrific crash, out of everybody in that car, his body was never found. So to this day, they're presuming that he's dead. And I think that's the biggest tragedy in all this is that so many people dropped the ball. You know, people saw the abuse and they were still willing to let these women get these children, even though they already had abuse records. These women obviously could not afford to take care of six children. I don't know a lot of regular people, biological children or not, who can afford to take care of six children. That is a lot. It's hard enough dealing with one or two kids, let alone six children having to clothe and feed them. I believe they were using these kids, one, to prop themselves up in the community, to look like pillars of the community. You know, two lesbians. We adopted all these minority kids. We're one big rainbow family. I believe that that's why they did that. Plus, I'm sure they were getting money on the back end as well for these children. Unfortunately, these children, they didn't see any of that because the way they were dressed, you know, you could tell they were wearing hand-me-downs, things from different, you know, eras, not even in the modern era. On top of that, they were very thin and malnourished. God bless the neighbors for stepping up and actually calling the police, you know, and calling child welfare. But unfortunately, it was too late. And I just wish the system would have took it more seriously when the first child who was abused and who was beaten and everything else, you know, when they gave her back and then the second child, they end up charging the woman, you know what I'm saying, with the misdemeanor for beating her. And it's like there were all these red flags, but because they wanted to ignore them and they felt like they were like the great white hope to take care of these children, it's really sad. So I want to touch up on that. And I think I'm going to be doing more podcasts like that as well. I'm going to do follow ups on different stories and different news stories that, you know, that have basically captured our imagination over the years, you know, to kind of find out, you know, whatever happened, you know, to these kids. Cases. And poor Devante, you know, he definitely left the mark on the world. And it's just so tragic that that young boy and his siblings had to die like that in that manner. You know, if you're upset and you're depressed and you don't like your life, that is your business. But you don't have the right to take anybody else's life with you just because you're mad and upset.
So anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Tea Time Unfiltered. Let me know your thoughts about this whole Devontae Hart situation. It's been three years and there's still no resolve. They still have not found the little boy's body. Um, you know, and it's kind of been brushed under the rug, but I think it's important to keep his memory alive because, you know, he did go viral and he did bring peace to a situation that was very volatile, you know, in Ferguson and on social media and everything else. And it's even sad that this took place in 2014. And even in 2020, we had the George Floyd situation. It's like it hasn't been so much change. It hasn't been a lot of change since then. You know, we're still dealing with police brutality and people losing their lives and, you know, riots and, you know, just the craziness that went on this year. But at least looking back on 2014 and looking back at everything that happened on, you know, that happened in Ferguson, at least one of the positive things to come out of that was, you know, Devontae. But it was just so sad that that is how he was introduced to us. And, you know, looking back at that picture, it's even sadder because I believe that 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 picture was low key a cry for help, and that's why I always say that hindsight is twenty twenty. I think if people knew what him and his siblings were really going through, people would have stepped up and really helped those children. So rest in peace to him, and rest in peace to those babies who lost their lives. So once again, thank you for joining me on this episode of Tea Time Unfiltered. Talk to y'all later. Thank you for listening to today's show. Make sure you join us again soon. For all the latest tea, make sure you follow me on my social media pages. Just put in L-O-V-E-L-Y-T-I on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.